Welcome to Mariner's Church. I'm so glad you are with us this weekend. Many of you are watching online now. Some of you are watching with friends and neighbors in your home. We have gatherings throughout Orange County this weekend. So grateful that we're able to gather and worship Jesus and study the scripture together. I have some really exciting news, some big things that the Lord is doing and Mariner's Church, I know you're gonna wanna know this and celebrate this. Months ago, we started having Mariner's hosted at home to help people gather around the scripture wherever they wanted to meet. And we have now transitioned that to Mariner's hosted here. And there's really a beautiful opportunity that you are a part of. On the weekend of December 20th, so we're gonna have Christmas weekend at 50 new Mariner's hosted here locations. And here's what's really special about those locations. There are 50 senior living facilities in Orange County, and these precious people have been so isolated during this season. And the staff that serve in those senior living facilities, they have been so overwhelmed. By God's grace, we've established a relationship with 50 different senior living facilities. And through your generosity, Mariners, we're gonna have iPads where we're gonna be able to take this service from room to room over Christmas and going into the new year as well. And we're gonna serve these senior living facilities. So I'm so excited that our services are just in a couple of weeks, two weeks from this weekend, gonna be going into 50 new Mariners hosted here in these senior living facilities. Some other really big news. Our church loves and believes in the Orange County Rescue Mission, the OC Rescue Mission. And beginning on that weekend, December 20th, we are gonna start having services at Mariners. Mariners is gonna start having services at the OC Rescue Mission. We're gonna have Mariners OC Rescue Mission. And we're gonna bring a team of people there who are going to provide church for the students at the OC Rescue Mission. We're gonna start Christmas week. And our plan is to continue to have services for those incredible people there. And if you wanna be a part of that team, there's some information on the screen because we're gonna look for some volunteers that are gonna help us take Mariner's Church into the OC Rescue Mission. So 50 senior living facilities, the OC Rescue Mission, the good news of Jesus is going to go forth in new ways in this season. And Mariner's Church, it is because of your generosity and because of your giving. Now, before I get into the message, I wanna make an ask. This is December, it is what we call year in giving. And we're not the only ministry that considers that during this time, but at our church, essentially 25% of all of the giving we receive happens in the month of December, which means from a ministry standpoint, this is a really important time for us. And all of those things that we're doing from new opportunities like senior living facilities and the OC Rescue Mission, all of those types of things only happen because of your giving. And so I wanna invite you to be very generous to your church during the month of December. Now, many of you, you give on a regular basis and I'm so thankful for your giving. Some of you, you, you haven't given yet to, to your church and you're, you're new to Mariners or maybe you, maybe you watch from out of town and you wonder, should I even give here? I, I mean, I've been a part of this for many months, but you haven't given yet, and I wanna invite you to give because Jesus believes in his church. Jesus said this, the gates of Hades would not be able to stop the movement of the church. 
and he believes in his church. He uses his church to advance his kingdom, to serve needs of people in the world. And you get to be a part of that through your giving, through your generosity. So on the screen is gonna be clear instructions on how you can give. And I invite you <clears throat> to give big, to, to give big this Christmas season to the work of God because we are believing God for really big things as we move into 2021. And we wanna to continue to do all of the ministry that we provide for you, for your friends, for your neighbors, for, for people in Orange County, for people around the world. In this season, the crazy year that 2020 has been, this is not a time that we wanna see the work of God shrink back. We wanna see the work of God go forward. And that happens through you, through your giving. And so give big during this season. Now, when I say big, big for you, whatever big for you is, I want you to be a part. And so there's information on the screen. You can join in in the work of God. Mariner's Church, I'm so proud of you and so proud of all that the Lord is doing through you. All right, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter one. We're gonna move into uh, a message about Christmas. And, and most of us now have for sure put up our Christmas tree. And whenever you put up your Christmas tree, it is essentially the indication that the Christmas season is beginning. It's the dawn of Christmas, if you will. And then when you take down your Christmas tree, I mean, that's the, that's the end of the Christmas season. That's the dusk of Christmas. The dawn, the, the full-on beginning is when you put up your tree and, and some put it up early, some, most people have it up by now, and there's debate on when you, when you are to take it down, right? When are you supposed to take down the Christmas tree? And so at all our gatherings throughout Orange County, if you're one of those who you take it down the day after Christmas, bah humbug, you take it down right away, it's over, let's get the house cleaned up, you take it down right away, if you're watching a home group, you take it down right away. How many of you, it's up until after New Year's? You wait as long as possible. I mean, everything has fallen off this droopy tree, but you wait as long as you possibly can because you want to extend Christmas season for as long as you can. So Christmas tree, the dawn of Christmas, it going down is often the dusk of Christmas at the Rockefeller Center in New York City, perhaps one of the most famous Christmas tree setups in our world. This happened this year. The Christmas tree was brought in and people, people made fun of this poor tree. Uh, it hit uh, memes on the internet saying, oh my goodness, look at this tree. This is a metaphor for 2020. I mean, if there's ever a metaphor of 2020, it's the, it's the Charlie Brown Christmas tree at the Rockefeller Center because it's supposed to be the dawn of Christmas. And this tree looks like the dusk of Christmas. This is how a tree looks like at the end. This isn't how a tree is supposed to look like at the beginning. What a crazy year 2020 has been when that is the Christmas tree at the Rockefeller Center. When I was in junior high, there was a famous band or a famous music group that was coming of age. Many thought it was the dawn of this music group. It was Millie Vanilli. They had this hit, Girl You Know It's True, that was just skyrocketing. And it looked like their career was completely taking off until there was this moment when on tour in front of 80,000 people in Bristol, Connecticut, they got on stage and they started their dance routine and they were singing, 
girl, you know, it's girl, you know, it's girl, you, what was happening? Girl, it just kept skipping. And the word true never came out, which was the ultimate metaphor of Millie Vanilli. The tape was skipping. They had been lip syncing the entire time. Girl, you know, it's girl, you know. The word true never came out. What looked like to be the dawn of their career was the dusk of their career. They ran off the stage completely embarrassed and humiliated and their career was essentially over because they weren't singing truth. It was a metaphor for their career. There was nothing true at all about them. And today we're gonna look at a story, the story of Zechariah in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two. And we're gonna see in Zechariah's story, someone who also could only lip sync Nothing would come out of his mouth, but it wasn't because he wasn't speaking truth. It was because he didn't believe the truth that God had told him. But unlike Millie Vanilli and unlike the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center, this moment for Zachariah wasn't the dusk of his story. It actually was the dawn of his story. And we're gonna see this incredible story of why did Zachariah why was he unable to speak? And so with me, Luke chapter one, I want you to see, let's, before I get ahead of myself, I want you to see who this Zachariah guy was and why he couldn't speak and what was going on in his life. And Luke chapter one, verse five, the scripture says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. So we know three things about this guy, Zachariah at the time, and this is the beginning of Luke's gospel. So this is before Jesus has come into the world and we know these three things. We know that he's a priest. He's actually married to a woman who's from the tribe of Aaron. So she's from a family of priests. And so this guy's a priest who knows the scripture, who knows the law of the Lord, he's a priest. We know that they are righteous, that Zachariah and his wife, Elizabeth, are blameless before the Lord. And then three, we know that they have no children, that they're barren even though they want children. Which, which by the way, before we go further, Luke, who wrote this, was essentially just blowing up a conception that was prevalent in this culture and sadly is still prevalent in our culture. And this was the, the misperception that if you love God, that if you're righteous, that if you follow him, then everything's gonna be great in your life. That if you love the Lord, you're not gonna have problems. And so we see though this righteous family who wants to have kids and they can't have kids. And so Luke is essentially saying, it's not true. For those of you who have believed that if you follow after God, then everything's gonna be awesome in your life. And the reason this is important is because some of you have been filled with this frustration and sometimes this false guilt because things aren't always amazing in your life. And someone perhaps has, has caused you to think that maybe something's wrong with you or wrong with your relationship with God. Maybe you aren't loving him enough or praying hard enough or trusting him enough. And what we see just in the story of 
Elizabeth and Zechariah is that sometimes people who love God a whole bunch, sometimes people who walk the straight and narrow, sometimes they have very difficult things happen in their life. And this is what was taking place with Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. So this angel shows up one day to Zechariah, this priest, and says, don't be afraid. I have this great news. You're going to give birth with your wife Elizabeth to a son. Now, Zechariah being a priest, he knew the story. He had taught people the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, they were well in age as well. They were also old. And God told them they were gonna have a kid and Abraham and Sarah laughed, but yet God delivered and brought them a kid. And so Zechariah knew this story. I mean, he had taught this story. He knew that God could deliver on such a crazy promise like that. And the angel comes just like the angel went to Abraham and said, you're gonna have a son with your wife, Elizabeth, but Zechariah, he had believed the story for other people, but he didn't believe a story like that for himself. And so he doesn't believe God. He tells the angel, there's no way. I'm old, there's no way this is gonna happen. And the angel says to Zechariah, listen, I'm the angel who stands in the presence of God. I just have come from the presence of God and what I'm saying to you is true, but because you didn't believe the message, you're not gonna be able to speak. You're only gonna be able to lip sync for nine months. The whole time your wife, Elizabeth, is pregnant, you aren't gonna be able to utter a word. And so he goes home and he can't speak for nine months. Elizabeth was probably okay with this. I mean, I remember when Kay got pregnant, I mean, you know, there was things that she wanted me to do, like go to Dairy Queen and do all kinds of food runs for her. She probably would have been completely fine if I couldn't speak during that time. And this is Zechariah. For nine months, he can't speak because he didn't believe the promise that he was gonna have a son. And the son that he was gonna have with his wife, Elizabeth, is going to be a man named John the Baptist who's going to point the way to Jesus, who's gonna prepare people for Jesus, who's gonna preach about the one who's going to come, Jesus. And so after nine months, after John the Baptist is born, Zechariah can finally speak again. And he has held these words inside for nine months. Some of us have been living very different lives for nine months, quarantined for nine months, or isolated for nine months. And there's so many things built up and pent up inside of you to unleash. Imagine not being able to speak for nine months. Now he's a priest. And so he's been thinking all of the promises of God in the Old Testament. In fact, scholars marvel over what he says when he could finally speak because it's essentially a string of all of these Old Testament sayings, all of these incredible things in the scripture that Zechariah says and he declares this incredible prophecy. He declares this beautiful song celebrating what God has done. In fact, we're gonna look at the song that he sings Unlike Millie Vanilli, when, when they were lip syncing, that was the dusk of their career. Zachariah, it was not the dusk. This is the dawn. He's about to celebrate that Jesus has come. In fact, you're gonna see 
in his song, he speaks way more about Jesus than he speaks about his son, John the Baptist, because John the Baptist, his whole point was to point people to Jesus. We're going to see three things in this song of Zechariah. We're going to see that Jesus defeats our enemies. We're going to see that Jesus remembers us. And we're going to see that Jesus brings us a new day. So this is all in Luke chapter 1. Earlier I said Luke 1 and 2, but it's actually all Luke chapter 1. Let's look at his song. It begins in verse 68. And we're going to see in verse 68 through the several first verses that Jesus is the one who defeats our enemies. Look with me in verse 68. This is the song that had took nine months to build. He finally can speak again. And this is what he says. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Now, what is, what is Zachariah saying? Notice in the scripture, he is celebrating that Jesus, the king, has come. The king has come who's going to rule and reign over us, but also defeat our enemies. Notice the phrase, the horn of salvation in this passage. This is the only time in the New Testament that this phrase is used, horn of salvation, that Jesus is our horn of salvation. What does this mean that Jesus is the horn of salvation? There's a couple of phrases in in Zechariah's prophecy that are about Jesus that that we haven't heard much of before. Maybe you haven't heard of this, that Jesus is the horn of salvation. What does this mean? Jesus is from the house of David and Jesus is the horn of salvation. Here's what it means. From the house of David, Jesus is the everlasting king who was promised and the horn of salvation. He's the one who will defeat our enemy of sin and shame. In the Old Testament, the phrase horn of salvation, it referred to defeating the enemies. Look at Psalm 92, verse 9 and 10. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You've lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I've been anointed with the finest oil. Jesus is the anointed king of kings, the horn of salvation who defeats our enemies. You know, there's nothing that really unites like a common enemy, some people say. Sometimes there'll be a startup that gets together and the whole idea is we're going to take down the the great enemy of the incumbent. We're the insurgents and we're going to take down this other business, the incumbent, and they have a common enemy. Nothing unites, some say, like a common enemy. Politically, that happens. We have an enemy and we're going to have this political movement that's against this other thing or this other person and, and nothing quite unites like a common enemy. And in a divisive time in our culture, in a time where it feels like people are always fighting over one thing or another, as Christians, we must remember that our real enemy is not flesh and blood, that our real enemy is Satan and sin and shame, and Jesus has come to destroy and defeat our real enemy. When Jesus was born into this culture, into the culture that 
Zechariah prophesied about. There were a lot of political enemies in this time. The Jewish people were occupied by the Romans. There was all kind of division among the religious leaders and the political leaders in Jesus' culture. And so when Jesus stepped into that world, people actually wanted Jesus to be this political hero. They so badly wanted him to overthrow Rome and to do all of these set up an earthly kingdom and do all of these political power moves, but Jesus did not come for the kingdom of this world. It's not why he came. He did not come as a political leader. Those were not his enemies. The enemies that Jesus came to defeat as your horn of salvation, he came to defeat your sin and your shame and your guilt, and he has. He was born of a virgin. He lived a pure and perfect life. He put himself on a Roman cross, and he was crucified to defeat your real enemy. Your real enemy has been defeated because Jesus is the horn of salvation. Let's not forget as Christians, listen to me, let's not forget that our enemies, those that plague us, our sin, our foolishness, our shame, our rebellion, our guilt, those have been defeated by the glorious work of Jesus for us. D.A. Carson about Christmas said this, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. Jesus is the horn of salvation. He is the one who has come to defeat our enemies. And Zechariah is celebrating this. The one who defeats our enemies, he has come. So number one, he defeats our enemies. Number two, we're gonna see in the next several verses that he remembers us. He remembers us. Zechariah, after nine months of being unable to speak, is like, yes, I now understand. The one who is going to fulfill all of the promises that God made in the past, that one Jesus has come. God has not forgotten us. God has promised all these blessings in the past and boom, Jesus the Messiah has come and he has remembered us. God has remembered us. Let's see the next set of verses. This is still Zechariah speaking. He says, he has dealt mercifully, mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father, Abraham. So get this. There was a promise given to Abraham and Zechariah is celebrating the fact that God remembered it. So if you have your Bible, underline that, this is huge. The oath, the promise that he swore to our father Abraham, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. So now he's speaking about his own son, John the Baptist. You, child, you're gonna be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord. You're gonna go before the Messiah to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. 
you aren't the Messiah, you're going before the Messiah. The Messiah, Jesus, is the one who's going to bring forgiveness of sins. Isn't it fascinating the things that we can remember versus the things that we forget? I mean, I cannot remember where I place my sunglasses. Kay refuses to buy me nice sunglasses because I, I, I leave them all over the place. I can't find them. I'm, I'm only allowed to get you know, $2 sunglasses from Walgreens. I mean, that's essentially all of the sunglasses that I have. I can't find them. I lose so many sets of sunglasses. I can't remember where I place them. But here's what's crazy. If an old song comes in the radio, like an old LL Cool J, I'm gonna knock you out. Mama said knock you out. I can remember every single word. I mean, the song from high school comes on the radio and I can, I can recite every word. So there's some things that I can't remember and there's some things that I remember deeply. Why is that? Some psychologists I'm sure could tell me why and Eric, here's why you forget these things and here's why you remember these things. But clearly there, there's some things that all of us remember and some things that we forget. And God really is the same way. God remembers some things and he chooses to forget some things. And do you know what is beautiful about this passage? Is we are seeing that God remembers you and he forgets your sin. He remembers you. He's never gonna forget you. He remembers you. Every promise he's ever made, he remembers. He remembers you. He never stops loving you. He never stops giving his affection to you. He remembers you, yet at the same time, he forgets all of your shame, all of your struggle. He remembers us. Jesus, thank you. You remember us and you forget our sin. At the same time, I'm so glad it's not the other way around. I'm so glad, God, that you don't forget me and remember my sin. I'm so, God, so glad, God, that you were so gracious that you remember me and forget my sin. And, and we, we see this in this passage that he remembers his holy covenant. Now, the passage we just read, Zechariah, who is singing this prophecy, he references the promise to Abraham. Now, I want to take you back. I want you to go deeply with me for a moment. If you have your Bible, flip over to Genesis chapter 15, because I, I want to see exactly, I want you to see exactly what Zechariah is talking about here. He had taught about Abraham, and he's remembering that God had made a promise to Abraham that he, he's going to make all nations happy through Abraham. And through Abraham, the lineage of Abraham comes Jesus, and Jesus makes people from every tribe, tongue, and nation happy. But Zechariah is remembering the promise that God gave to Abraham. And Zechariah is saying, yes, you remembered that oath and it's good for me. And I want you to see it's good for you too. And so Genesis 15, it's a fascinating read, is where many theologians call this the covenant ceremony. It's where, where God does this, this fascinating ceremony to cement his promise to Abram who later has his name changed by God to Abraham. So look with me in Genesis 15, verse five. God took Abram outside and said, look at the sky, count the stars, if you were able to count them. Then he said, your offspring will be that numerous, which was crazy for Abram to believe that because he and his wife, Sarah, 
were old and they didn't have a child and how's this going to happen? But yet God is going to keep his promise. And then from that lineage is going to come Jesus. And so here's what God does next. He's going he's to make it super clear that this oath is, is going to happen because he does this, this ceremony with Abram. It's called a covenant ceremony that God does. Now hang with me because I want you to see in our culture, if you and I went into some type of arrangement together, we would shake hands. If it was really serious, we'd have some attorneys around and we'd pay lots of money to have contracts drawn up. But at this point in history, what the people did was, was pretty crazy. If you went into an arrangement with somebody, you both would get together, you would sacrifice some animals, you would put the animals, uh, half of the animals on one side, the other half of the animals on the other side, and you together would walk through the animals, essentially saying, we, have, we are sacrificing those animals in blood. This is a blood covenant, a blood promise. And if I break my commitment to you, may what happened to those animals happen to me. This is, this is how they did it. Wasn't a handshake wasn't a lawyer and a lot of money, sacrifice some animals, put animals on both sides, let's walk through it together. This is how they made a covenant. And so God's gonna do this covenant with Abram, but notice how it goes down. Look with me in verse nine. God said to Abram, bring me a, a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So he brought all of these to him he cut them in half and laid the pieces opposite each other. I know this sounds crazy, but this is how they did it back then. Now look at verse 12. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram and suddenly a great terror and darkness descended on him. So the sacrifices are set up. Abram and God are supposed to walk through these together. That's what you would do when you made a covenant. But Abram's asleep. Abram's asleep. And so notice what happens next. Let's look at verse 17. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land to your offspring. And so this is what took place. The sacrifices were, were laid there Abram's asleep on the side and God walks through the sacrifices by himself. He doesn't walk through them with Abram. He walks through them by himself. This is what God was saying to Abram. You're going to be unable to keep your end of the deal. You're going to be unable to keep your promise. And so you're just sleeping on the side. All of the weight of the covenant all of the weight of the promise is on me. I'm walking through the sacrifices alone. You are not going to be able to be faithful to me. You are not going to be able to be good to me because you have fallen and you have broken your promises to me. But I'm still going to be faithful and good to you. And he walks through the sacrifice by himself, essentially saying, if you break it, may all of the wrath of breaking the promise fall upon me, the only one who's walking through the sacrifices. And yet, here we are. Jesus, the promised one, has come. 
And Jesus has kept his promises to you, even when you haven't kept your promises to him. Jesus has been faithful to you, despite your inability and my inability to be faithful to him. And I have broken my promises and I have fallen and I have walked away from this great God so many times. And he has bore in his flesh all of my sin and all of my transgression. It fell upon Jesus when he placed himself on the cross for me. Jesus is the great sacrifice. He's the fulfillment of all of those promises in the Old Testament. He keeps his promises. Zechariah is celebrating the fact that Jesus is born to be the one who takes away all of our sin, to be the one who remembers us. We are never forgotten because of Jesus. So number one, Jesus defeats our enemies. Number two, Jesus remembers us. And number three, Jesus brings us a new day. Zechariah is celebrating that Jesus brings a new day. Look at verse 78 and 79 as Zechariah ends his incredible song. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The dawn from on high. In this incredible prophecy, Jesus is called the horn of salvation and the dawn from on high. Jesus is the dawn, not the dusk, not the end. Jesus is the dawn from on high. If you search Instagram, you'll see People love taking sunset pictures and sunrise pictures. They're both beautiful, but they symbolize something different. The the sunset picture symbolizes the end, the dusk, and the sunrise picture symbolizes this is a brand new day. Jesus is the sunrise. Jesus is the dawn from on high. He brings a new day to us. In America currently right now, there are about five hundred thousand people who are named dawn it's a great name dawn you are the light of a new day you are the beginning you you remind me that i have a fresh start you are dawn and there's 80 people in america named dusk the very end and if you happen to be one of the 80 people in america named dusk who are watching this jesus loves you a whole bunch and i'm sure it was your parents do too and it was just a crazy time in their life but for some reason, people for sure name their children dawn more than dusk because we're attracted to this new beginning. There's an old Lincoln Park song called The Shadow of the Day, which was so sad. It was about somebody dying. It was such a sad song. It's the shadow of the day, the dusk of the day. But in this verse, Jesus is not called the shadow of the day or the dusk of the day. Jesus is the dawn from on high. Jesus is the one who specializes in giving us brand new beginnings. Do you need a new beginning? Has 2020 been such a rough season for you where you feel like you've broken promises to God or you've made an absolute mess at one part of your life and you just wish you could start over Jesus is the dawn from on high. He's the one who's come to give us a new life. 
He's the one who has come to give us an expression of his mercies that are new every single day. Jesus is the one who has come to make us brand new. The old has gone and the new has come. Jesus is the dawn from on high. I love that phrase. Jesus is my horn of salvation. He's the one who's rescued me. Jesus is the one who remembers me. He never forgets me. And Jesus is the dawn from on high. In the mornings when the sun comes up, it is so beautiful here in Southern California. And in those moments, in a year like this, there's been times that I have been overwhelmed. And when the sun comes up, I'm often still overwhelmed, but in the stillness of a moment, when you recognize the beauty of the sunrise, yes, the problems are still there, but you can have a new perspective. And because Jesus is the dawn from on high, the struggles that you have may still be there, but if you will look to Jesus, he will give you new perspective in the middle of your struggle and you will find that his mercy is new for you every single day. If you have a bunch of struggle, understand you have a bunch of new mercy. If you have fallen and you have sinned and you feel like you've walked away from God, understand that his compassion and his grace and his mercy is new for you. Jesus specializes in new beginnings. He's the dawn from on high. If you want a fresh start, you come to Jesus and he makes you a new person and he gives you a fresh start and he overwhelms you with his forgiveness and his grace. He is the dawn from on high. He's not the dusk. Whatever struggle you're having, this does not need to be the dusk of your life. This does not need to be the end of your hope and the end of your joy. Because of Jesus, he brings new life and new beginnings. His mercies are new every single day. Jesus, Thank you for being the dawn from on high. Thank you for being the horn of our salvation. Thank you for remembering us and keeping all of your promises, despite the fact that we have broken so many to you. Thank you for your new mercy.